Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As Wednesday's upon us, we take a look at the happenings of the markets. Lots of things to, to check out today and some exciting news with the word USDA in it. We'll explain more about that here in just a moment. But Arlen Suderman is joining us today from FC Stone. Let's first off, first off talk about this bill that was passed in the Senate dealing with Hong Kong and then all the issues with Hong Kong, how it all is kind of coupling together with our China talks. Yeah, and in the first reaction may be, why are we talking about Hong Kong when we're talking about the ag markets? But it has a lot to do with our trade relations with China and our ability to get a trade agreement with China. Um, Hong Kong was kind of under previously, Hong Kong back in the early 90s had been handed back to the Chinese government from Great Britain and where it had been a colony for Great Britain. And then it was under a negotiated agreement that Hong Kong would be able to maintain some of its uh, freedoms of democracy, so to speak. And uh, China basically had a, a two uh, a uh, one country, um, two systems approach or commitment that they had made. And that all kind of came to a head about six months ago when Hong Kong tried to push through legislation a new policy that would allow people who have been charged with a crime in the eyes of the Hong Kong police to be uh, to be sent to China for trial. And that created an uproar. That policy was eventually withdrawn, um, but this has grown into a much wider pro-democracy demonstration. Um, the House of Representatives last month passed a bill... Uh, requiring the U.S. government to monitor the developments in Hong Kong, uh, to monitor any products produced in the United States that were being potentially used in Hong Kong um, to identify protesters, to spy on protesters, uh, to be able to, to monitor what they were doing, and also to monitor human rights violations or potential human rights violations in Hong Kong. The Senate passed a similar bill yesterday. Now those two bills go to conference committee where they will be merged into one, we presume, and they will kind of work out their differences and go to the president's desk for signature. China immediately summoned the U.S. ambassador to talk to him and to protest and they stated that uh, this is a threat to their sovereignty and their security. Now, to us, that means something totally different than it does to China. To the Chinese government and to the people of China, this really is seen when we are seen intervening in Hong Kong and Taiwan. It is seen as a direct attack on their national security and on their sovereignty. That doesn't make sense to us in the West. We can argue that till we're blue in the face, that that's not a, a, a crime against China and their sovereignty and their national security. But they do see it that way. And so since they see it that way, that does have implications for their willingness to negotiate with us. The question is, will they want to hurry up and try to get an agreement behind them and in the book, so to speak, so that they can really come down hard on the protesters, many of whom they have now surrounded and trapped at a university in Hong Kong, or 
will they just totally break off the talks and say we're going to take care of things and we'll just endure the economic pain um, that is necessary. We're not going to negotiate with the United States any further. Right now, it looks like they're still negotiating. They're protesting what we did while still negotiating, but it has not yet come to the president's desk. The president, meanwhile, has taken more of a, a stand of confidence, like he feels like he holds all the cards in his hand this week with Hong Kong going on and African swine fever and with what's happening with China's economy, which the central bank had to add more stimulus this week. And he's saying, you know, if they don't want to give us an agreement and if we don't like the agreement, then we'll just raise the tariffs December 15th. We'll raise them even higher. So he's feeling pretty confident right now. Um, but Hong Kong is a big factor in the talks, even if it's not stated as such. So as we get ready to head into a, a holiday season, what does that mean with all of that going on in Hong Kong? Our discussions here, are we going to get something done in 2019 or is it going to be more a 2020? Oh, the White House seemed to admit, although unnamed sources, as the, these stories seem to say, that the, the trade talks may linger on into January. And, and the, going past the first of the year dramatically increases the risk that China will just say, forget it. Talks are off. We're going to wait till after the election. Part of it hinges on how the impeachment hearings are going. Um, that's a factor here. Uh, if they feel like the impeachment hearings are gaining momentum on something that could actually see President Trump removed from office or um, removed, uh, lose popularity uh, with the electorate, that they may lean toward hanging on. If they see his polls rising, his favorability polls rising, which, frankly, some polls they are doing as impeachment hearings have gone public and feel like the impeachment hearings really don't have much uh, substance to them, that may push them more toward the talks sooner rather than later. Well, I know that uh, we're going to talk in the second half a little bit more about African swine fever, but that, too, has been a discussion that's affecting China, and I would think that that would have some sort of influence, Arlen, on getting these trade talks done. Oh, they do. Now, the big thing there is they want to buy our meat particularly pork, so it comes down to the tariffs. Of course, the state can always waive the tariffs as well. All right, well, stick around, folks. More is coming up. We'll talk about that exciting news coming out from USDA earlier today. You are listening to the Wednesday version of the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Arlen Suderman continues to join us from FC Stone. We talked a little China in the first half. It's time to switch gears and look at some harvest. We know that the uh, the weather here in the States, at least for the near part, is going to be conducive for getting crops out of the field. But exciting news, Arlen, to see USDA say, hey, we know that this is running late. Harvest is not the normal pace this year. We're going to continue crop progress report into the near future. Something usually come Thanksgiving, we're good and done with crop progress reports. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of farmers out there wish they were done with it. Uh, this week's crop progress report showed that 76% of the corn crop uh, was harvested. That means 24% not harvested. That translates into a little over 3 billion bushels when we went state by state through the numbers. Um, to show what it should be in each state, what USDA's production estimated in each state, and what's harvested, what isn't harvested. Uh, and so, and on soybeans, it's 
we're closer to done there. There's only about 308 million bushels that are still in the field as of Sunday there. Um, but a lot of corn still in the field. And getting 3 billion bushels of corn harvested over the next couple of weeks is going to, is going to be a real challenge. I was encouraged to see USDA break from their tradition of ending those crop progress reports uh, uh, at the end of November. That meant we would have had one more to go next Monday. They're going to continue them now to monitor the harvest progress. That means that they're recognizing the scope of the problem of the unharvested grain. And as we've talked about in the past, what they do is um, they survey producers during the first half of December on what their final production numbers are and as well as uh, conduct their surveys on grain stocks in all positions for their quarterly stocks report. Both of those final production reports and the grain stocks or quarterly grain stocks reports are released in January. And so they'll be working on those. And what this suggests when you combine it with the weather forecast going forward, some of these areas that have a lot left to harvest, is that there's going to be a lot of corn still in the field while they're doing those surveys. North Dakota, for example, as of Sunday, was only 23% harvested in its corn. Over three-fourths of its corn still in the field. And, of course, they have snow in the ground in much of North Dakota. South America has had some dry spots, but some weather is coming their way to help them out. It's really changed dramatically for the good for them. Uh, they've had good rains across the nearly all production areas of Brazil. Uh, and uh, Argentina has had some dry areas, but most of those areas have received showers as well. So it's looking real good right now. That doesn't mean that we won't continue to see some areas get below normal precipitation, um, but normal precipitation this time of year is quite extensive. It's quite a lot. Uh, and uh, at this point, we do not see any notable uh, problem areas in South America and in the major production areas for corn or soybeans. As we jump over to the livestock side, I really want to direct our listeners to go check out FC Stone's Twitter page. And I know that you retweeted it as well. A great African swine fever case map, um, but it kind of is mind boggling to watch that map as those gray dots just continue to spread. Yeah, and those are the real official reports. And basically, from what we know from uh, reports from on the ground that we get, that uh, the, it's much more severe than what those official reports seem to indicate. We've got another graphic that we haven't posted yet that really shows that on a world basis, and that is really sobering when you see each country that has had African swine fever and currently has cases of African swine fever color in. Uh, how much of the world is currently being impacted by African swine fever, much of Asia uh, and uh, Africa and uh, portions of Europe. Um, and so the, of the major production, major hog production areas still without African swine fever on their shore, so to speak, is left to primarily just North and South America. In that spread and the desire, and we've had this conversation, we did just last week down in Kansas City, the desire is there to get those proteins. We know that other countries are vying as well for that buy, but at one point it's going to get cold and people need to be fed. Yeah, exactly right. And we see China taking steps to try to in increase their imports of pork while also building production there internally. Uh, we don't think that they're going to be able to fill that void at all. The losses are simply too great, but they're trying to do what they can to mitigate the 15% 
plus percent food inflation rate. That's where food inflation rates are at in the latest data available for the month of October and continuing to escalate. It was 10% in September, over 15% in October and still growing. We have seen market hog prices pull back a little bit here over the last couple of weeks. We think that's because of a surge in, in some of the heavier hogs being taken to market. Good. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Arlen? INTLSCstone.com or on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. Commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss that are not suitable for all investors. And that's your Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle and all the local dealers. You can pick this up as a podcast at our website, ruralradio.com, or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcast. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.